0: be part of a nation whose God is the Lord. And uh, it it is our great desire that that doesn't change either in our lifetime or the lifetime of our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, that we would remain a nation whose God is the Lord. And uh, we know that the only way that is ever going to happen is if you send revival, if your spirit comes and changes the the, the, the direction that we are in. So I pray that as, as we consider the benefits and the blessings of what this verse means, that we would associate it with the world in which we live and recognize the need for Jesus in the heart of the people around us. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to do a little bit different of a meditation this morning. It's been a long time since I have actually talked about Thanksgiving itself on Thanksgiving, but I think as I look around at world events and the events in our own nation, I think it's timely to set the record straight. Uh, about our heritage and our foundation or at least to a degree. So I want to ask you a question and it's kind of the question that is begged by this passage and that is what does it mean to a nation when scripture says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Um, What does it mean to those who are living in that nation who are do not know the lord who are not chosen as his heritage let me let me let me put this in a slightly different way throughout the history of uh, of of what we have in scripture the history of humanity there have been on occasion cultures and nations who have been nations who are blessed because their god is the lord and so israel would be one for instance but there has never been a time when every single person in that nation has indeed been one of God's people. There have always been the wicked uh, in in, in the midst of the, the righteous. There has always been weeds in the midst of the wheat. So. What is the benefit of those, to those people of a nation whose God is the Lord? So let me bring this into a more current, uh, a modern type of context. What is the benefit for the secularists, the progressives? the pagans and hedonists and agnostics and atheists living in the midst of a nation which is clearly Christian in its orientation, what is the benefit to them that they live in a nation whose God is the Lord? Well, let me answer that at least this way very briefly. If those secularists and pagans and hedonists and progressives and agnostics and atheists were Anywhere aware of the blessings that they are the beneficiaries of in this nation, in this culture, if they were understanding of where those blessings come from, rather than pursue, I mean, rather than trying to eradicate Christianity from the public consciousness, they would be pursuing Christianity because even if they did not believe, they would want to live in a Christian environment because. Good things happen when a nation is blessed because their God is the Lord. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, I, I, I want to make a point. Thanksgiving is a Christian tradition, observance, period. And I'm going to prove it in history. It, it, but it, it is such a bridge between the the government and the people and the culture that we have, the secularist, if you will, and the religious roots of this nation. It is such a bridge tying the two together inexorably that it's an embarrassment to the secularists and progressives and pagans and hedonists and agnostics and atheists. So because of that, they've got to rewrite history. They have to to explain it away as if it never existed. Well, fortunately, even though they start with American history and they start trying to revise it, we can go beyond American history because actually that is where the roots of not only Thanksgiving, but our own national consciousness begins. And so I want to give you a very quick romp through history. Okay, put your tennis shoes on because we're going to move quickly through a couple of centuries. I want to take you and to bring you to, not the present, but I want to bring you to the point where you recognize that even though there have been groups of people that have been absolutely dedicated to carving Christianity and our Christian heritage out of our consciousness It simply can't be done if you look at non-redacted history. It is as plain as the nose on your face. So I don't have any intention this morning of expositing this particular passage. I just want to use it to talk about where the blessings are to be found and how not just Christians but non-believers in the midst of that community benefit from them. Well, in order to understand the first Thanksgiving, which is kind of where we always start when we talk about Thanksgiving, we have to go well beyond that, all the way back to the Reformation, actually, 1517, when a German monk, and you all know this, named Martin Luther nailed 95 grievances against medieval Roman Catholicism on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, it was Luther's desire to, to, to reform the church. Actually, that's the way he started out. But he started a firestorm that literally spread all across Europe in those days, aided by the new invention, the Gutenberg Press. But all of a sudden, pockets of Reformation kind of popped up in almost every country in continental Europe. Now, because Roman Catholicism in the Middle Ages was the monolithic religion that every place it popped up, there was persecution. And, brothers and sisters, if you are going to understand the national heritage, the religious heritage of this country, you have to recognize religious persecution because we were founded because of religious persecution. Well I mean it it happened all over Europe especially in places like Spain and Italy and France. Inquisitions Christians began to be um, thrown in jail, burned at the stake, beheaded. All kinds of awful things began to happen as the persecution occurred towards Protestant people. Well after a while the Protestants got tired of that and they started fighting back and there were Wars literally popping up all over Europe, one in particular, the Thirty Years' War in Germany. I am told that two-thirds of the population of Germany in those 30 years died during wars between the Protestants and the Catholics. And it took over a century for Germany to recover from that period of time. So there was tremendous controversy and upheaval and turmoil all across continental Europe. But it's more the history of England that I'm interested in because that's where we trace our heritage to. The Reformation made its way to England but in a different way than it, it grew in the continent of Europe. The continent of Europe, it was mainly a grassroots movement. It started with the great theologians like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and Busser. And, and it spread as ideas spread. Well, in England it was different. It was top down. Um, the Reformation came into England because the king, who at the time was King Henry Eighth, and um, you, you, you know, he's kind of famous because you didn't want to be married to King Henry VIII uh, because he had a way of, you know, taking care of his wives when he got tired of them. Well, he was tired of his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and wanted to divorce her and marry Anne Boleyn. And so he petitioned the Pope in Rome. England was a Catholic country, and Henry VIII was pretty much a Catholic uh, king. But then when the Pope says, no, you can't divorce Catherine of Aragon, well, he says, well, I'm just going to start my own church then, and I'll be the Pope, or I'll be the head of the church. And that situation still exists today with the Church of England. It is the monarchy that is the head or the, the supervision of that particular church. But nonetheless, because there was this reformation going on on the continent, um, that suited Henry VIII's purposes. Now, he was never really a reformer, but what he allowed was for the Reformation to flower in, in England. And for a while, it, there were pastors and churches created and, and, and sermons being preached all over. And, and importantly, there were important people in government, in the parliament, who, who were Protestant and, and who were actively Protestant. And so the Reformation took hold there in England as long as Henry VIII was alive. But when Henry VIII died, his son, Edward VI, ascended to the throne. Now, Edward VI has the distinction of being the first Protestant king in England. In fact, he had been tutored by such Reformation greats as John Knox from Scotland. So he was firmly Protestant. There's only one problem. He was only nine years old when he came to the throne and really sort of ruled through a council of regents. But while he was the king of England. Once again, the Reformation truly flowered now because pastors were given a free uh, will to to preach the the truths of Scripture, the truths of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. Those solas were the foundation of the preaching and teaching of the Reformation. And so during that reign of Edward VI, the Reformation just exploded in England itself. The only problem was that Edward VI was sickly, and he only lived to 15, and then he died of tuberculosis. And even though he tried before he died to arrange otherwise... The person who came to the throne was Mary Tudor, who was the daughter of Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. But she was also a staunch, firm Roman Catholic. And from the very time she took the throne, she decided that England is going to return to be a Catholic country. Now, imagine the bad situation that we have in England. Because under Edward VI, every Protestant pastor had been given a free ticket to preach and to set up churches. And so now Mary Tudor knew exactly who they were and where they lived. And so she started a campaign of persecution once again, persecuting the Protestant teachers and preachers. You have three choices. If you if, if you don't repent, according to her, if you don't recant your reformed beliefs, you have three choices. Either you can go underground and, and, and you can stop preaching and teaching and hide here in England... Or you can, you can uh, be in exile and, and, and run and flee England and go over to continental Europe, or you can die. Basically, that's what it was. And the Protestants nicknamed her Bloody Mary because so many Protestants did die under her rule, thrown in jail, beheaded, burned at the stakes. Hundreds, if not thousands, of Protestants would die that way. But there was a silver lining that has a particular importance to us as a nation. And that was that some of the solid reformed teachers and writers and thinkers fled England and took up residence in places like Switzerland, excuse me, or um, the Netherlands. And and they formed an expatriate Reformed community, Calvinistic community in those places, and tried to influence things in, in, in England from afar. Well, that kind of lasted until Mary Tudor died, and this is the history of England. It, it matters who's on the on the throne. Well, when Mary Tudor died, her sister Elizabeth, who was the daughter of King Henry the Eighth, and um, Anne Boleyn, um, she ascended to the throne. And Elizabeth, that's the, if you know anything about English history, is the beginning of the Elizabethan period of, of, of English history. But nonetheless, she, she, was, she was more about England than she was about religion. In, in fact, she was Protestant, no, no doubt about it. Protestant, in fact, she's credited with actually starting the Church of England. But she was a little bit more tolerant of Roman Catholicism, so she wanted kind of the hostilities between Catholics and Protestants to to wane a little bit so that England would become strong. Because after all, Spain was about to send its armada uh, to try and conquer them, and you may know that story um, as well. But nonetheless, here's what happened during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, and this is where it sort of starts to get relevant to us. During her reign, she established the the, the Church of England, um, and she formalized it. Um, she institutionalized it. You, you know, when you take Christ out of the middle of Christianity, even though you have all the outer aspects of Christianity, the, the, the heart's not there. And, and almost immediately, you'll start to get a formalizing or a, a, a slipping, a, an institutionalizing, an external, very much like a Phariseeism um, that will start to occur. And the heart, of the Christian gospel gets lost and Christian living becomes more important. Well, they're on this slide, the Church of England, when a group of men within England began a movement to reform the Protestant Church of England because they saw it slipping. And so just like Luther tried to reform the Catholic Church, they tried to reform the Church of England. But they were so uh, strict uh, they were so ethical and so moral and they wanted to reestablish the foundations of the ethics of christianity and literally live by the the word and and to try to reestablish the first century koinonia the the, the church the the people of jesus christ who lived according to christ like uh, doctrines and principles they wanted to Purify the Church of England, and so therefore, at first, in a very derogatory sense, they were called Puritans, because they were they were just too squeaky clean, and, and you know, we, we, there's gray areas in religion they were saying, and these guys were pretty staunch. So a new persecution began within the Protestant Church in England, and it started out very similar to the way some people would say we're being persecuted we we may be scorned uh, we we may be passed over for a uh, a, a, a promotion or something It, it was just kind of casual the kinds of persecution but then when the Puritans began to write and preach and teach and it began to be a movement that was spreading not only throughout England but into parliament Well, that's when from the top down, the clamps were put on it and real persecution began. People were thrown in jail. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, now he's about 30 years out from this time, but he's an example. He was thrown into jail because he was a nonconformist, wouldn't conform to the Church of England, and so therefore he spent 12 years in jail, and that's when he wrote *The Pilgrim's Progress*, among other things. But this was an example where they were they were they were, they were demanded that they can't preach. Their churches were taken away from them. Their livelihoods, their houses were absconded. They, they they went into poverty. They couldn't feed their families. And again, real persecution occurred. Many many of them were were imprisoned. And so once again, the Puritans now are faced with. a a, a decision. Do we stay here in England and fight it, or do we become what they called separatist? Do we separate from the Church of England, and do we leave England to where we can find a place where we can worship freely? So the Puritans began to migrate to the continent, and many of them ended up in those reformed Calvinistic Christian communities that were already established in Holland. And they 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 took up residence there. But you know, after a while, and now we're getting to around the 16, early part of the sixteen hundred. after a while they, they began to wish and, and desire a home of their own. I mean, Holland was fine, and and they had the ability to worship as they pleased, but they spoke a different language, the cultures were different, uh, they missed England, and they really wanted to find a place where they could put down roots. So, and you know this part of the story, right? Around 1620, a group of them hired, or actually, I am told by some sources, they bought a couple of boats. One was named the Mayflower. One was made, the, named the Speedwell. And they bought these boats, and a group of them decided, we're just going to pack up everything we own, and we're going to brave the Atlantic Ocean, which was a, a, a terrifying thing in those days. We're going to brave the Atlantic Ocean. And we're going to go to the New World, barely, barely populated at all, explorations were were slim, and and the idea was this. The idea was that they could escape persecution and that they could set up a Christian community. Uh, Let me kind of drill this into you. A Puritan, Reformed, Calvinistic, Christian community so that they could set down roots and they could create an environment like the first century church where they could not only worship as they please but they could be a nation one day whose god would be the Lord and so you know the story, Speedwell was kind of leaky, you know, it sprung three leaks and had to finally they had to abandon it and the Mayflower made it across in 1620 and they landed in what is now Massachusetts and they established a colony called Plymouth. And that's where the idea or the, the, the principle of thanksgiving was first established. Now, I know that you have all been to a thousand little skits of pilgrims and Native American Indians and turkeys and all that stuff, so I'm not going to go into that. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. But here's what I want you to realize, that all of this history... From 1517 all the way up to 1620, this hundred years was all pointed at a group of people who were persecuted for their firm, conservative, Puritan. Um, uh, Reformed, Calvinistic, Christian beliefs. And they wanted to find a place where they could live and breathe and set down roots and form a Christian community, which is exactly what they did. Hard going, uh, the first years were very tough. They chose to stay and fight it out and many of them would die to pestilence or cold or exposure rather than go back to England. And that is the foundation not only of our first colonies but also of our first parents and of our first Thanksgiving ideas. Now, it's not going to become a holiday for a long time. In fact... I think that the, they're not called Puritans anymore, by the way, because they're traveling, they're on a mission, a quest. Now they're called pilgrims, Puritan pilgrims. But I think they would be surprised if they were to learn that, that, that we consider the first Thanksgiving to have been something that occurred in the fall at harvest time uh, with this community. Because this was a group of people who lived their Christianity. They would have thanked God every time they sat down to a meal as a family. As all Christians should do. But they, 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 they probably formalized that in a big feast. Which is quite the thing to do at harvest time when you're an agrarian society. So probably they had that Thanksgiving feast at harvest time. But... It wasn't anything that was isolated as far as they were concerned. Now, over the next 40 years, 20,000, 30,000 Puritans migrated to New England. Twenty to 30,000 of them settled in the New England area. So that New England is decidedly Puritan, Reformed, Calvinistic, Christians. The whole place. And and, and you go back, you look at the churches established, you look at the universities established, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, all of them Christian institutions run by Puritan men in those early days. Of course, we know that has changed considerably. Now, in the, the next, say, 100 years that occurred, Um, from 1620 to about 1720 the 13 colonies appeared. Now I'm not going to tell you that every person living in those 13 colonies was a Christian. That would be ludicrous because it simply wasn't true. In fact Georgia was established as a penal colony in those early days. But I will tell you this. It was a Christian environment. It was a Beginnings of a nation whose God was the Lord. In other words, everywhere you went, the society, the culture, the community would not only be Christian, but for the most part, reformed Christian. And not just reformed Christian, but for the most part, especially New England, Calvinistic reformed Christian Puritans. And so this this continued until the foundations of this nation were being set. And the ideas that would be formulated into documents like the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, all of these documents that we point to that are our sort of founding documents, the environment, the culture in which they are being established was a culture that was decidedly Christian. Now, once again, not every one of our founding fathers was Christian. Thomas Jefferson was liberal at best. Benjamin Franklin famously, I mean, all of the secularists and the progressives love to concentrate on Benjamin Franklin. Well, Benjamin Franklin was not a believer. But, but here's my point, folks. Benjamin Franklin was a non-believer who lived in the midst of believers. He was a a man who lived in the midst of a Christian environment and a Christian society. And it was that society and that ethical standard and those morals taken right out of Scripture that set the tone for everything that occurred in those days. And it, it, it wasn't just what they brought with them from England. Oh man, in the 30s and 40s, 1730 and 40, something happened that... Is almost unprecedented in history, I would say, other than, say, Pentecost and the years right after that. And it's called the Great Awakening. And what happened, and it had already kind of started by the 1730s in little pockets like Reverend Stoddard, who's a grandfather of John, uh, John, Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the great theologians and, and, and Puritans of that day. But it was mainly the result of one amazing preacher who preached himself to death, literally died in his 50s, because he preached every day, three, four, five times a day. His name was George Whitefield. And and he started a a revival called the Great Awakening in in England. He came across to Georgia. He started it there. He went back to England. He built it up there. He came back over here, started in Georgia again, and moved all the way up the eastern seaboard, preaching to tens of thousands. Thousands of people and thousands upon thousands of people are being saved and the spiritual movement of the Holy Spirit within that community in those days is documented as the most amazing time. In fact, talk about Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin would not have missed a George Whitfield sermon. They loved him. Now, he never expressed belief, but he loved the preaching style and he loved the energy that he saw in uh, George Whitfield. But the point is this. When the foundational planks of our governmental system were set. That's what's going on, 3040s. I mean, that's only 30 years before 1776 when the Declaration of Independence uh, comes along, and then 1789, the Congrega- uh, Con- uh, Constitutional Congress, when the, the government that was put in place. But he- he- don't let them rewrite history for you. This was put together by Christian Men, it was mainly Reformed Christian men and mainly Puritan, Calvinistic Reformed Christian men who put those documents together. Now, revisionist history would change all of that for us, but that's exactly what occurred. Now, you ask me, what on earth does any of this have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, brothers and sisters, I, I kind of gave this in a very truncated way to our parents the other night of our elementary school parents. And if you don't know our school, we are a an outreach school. We're not covenantal. So a very large number of our parents are either nominal Christians or not Christians at all. And so I, I, I was trying to explain to them why it is important to them that Christianity remains the, the, the focus of the ethical backbone of this country because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In other words unbelievers should be just as as interested in keeping Christianity at the foundation of, of our culture because the good things that we enjoy and that they enjoy even though it's not eternal life even though it is not a new life in Christ but just the plain old goodness of life including an observance like Thanksgiving is something that they owe to Christianity. Now the reason I'm, I'm keying on this on Thanksgiving is because Thanksgiving remains a quite embarrassing bridge to modern revisionists. And so they try to explain it away. And they try to, to take the Christ out of it. And it becomes just another holiday for food, fun, family, and football, right? I mean, that's what we do. And you sap all the Christianity out of it. Out of it. And, and, and then you actually say it's a crime to leave it in there. But there's a vested interest that every American should have in maintaining the historical focus on Christianity. And that is because the reason we are blessed as a nation is not because we are any better, not because we are smarter, not because of our natural resources. The reason we are blessed is because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And when that changes, if it changes, the reverse is true, especially in a nation that has been blessed. So I still haven't given you the reason that Thanksgiving has to do with this. Well, let's establish how it came to be as a holiday. Now, again, if any of you have been out there, in, in, in education today, you know that this is not being taught. It has been revised right out of, uh, of, of, of our history. In other words, George Washington, if he was anywhere near a Christian, he was a deist. You know, God wound us up and left. And, you know, he had this vague sense of who God is. Well, the first actual Thanksgiving day was was proclaimed and instituted by George Washington in 1789, the same year of the Continental Congress, where the government that they had established was put into place. Let me read to you the proclamation in George Washington's own words. And you tell me, is this a deist? Is this a man who has no relationship with God? Is this a man who doesn't know God in the slightest and doesn't care? He's some kind of, uh, of, uh, of distant being that wound us up and left? Or is this a man who is interested in seeing the nation understand and continue its Christian roots? This is what he said, October 3rd, 1789. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Can, can I read that again? Because he's supposed to be a deist, right? It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Providence, that's not deism. Deism the providence of almighty god to obey his will to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor now therefore i do recommend and assign thursday the 26th day of november next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent officer of i'm sorry the beneficent author of all the good that was that is or that will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed. We may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. George Washington, 1789, as he sets aside one day. So we really can't trace the beginning of Thanksgiving as a federal holiday back to him because he just really said, "Okay, look, let's take the next December 20, I mean November 26th and make it a holiday." Next time this comes about is about 100 years, well not 100 years, about 80 years later, in 1863. Once again, on October 3rd, this time it is. President Abraham Lincoln very shortly after the devastating battle at Gettysburg as part of the Civil War. I say devastating because so many um, lives were lost. It broke the back of the Confederacy. It was a resounding victory for the Union. And so therefore, that's the reason for the sort of upbeat um, tone of this message that was given thereafter. But here is what Abraham Lincoln says, The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they came, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they would be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea, those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in heaven. Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday. It always has been. And it should be remembered as such. It's not now. But it always has been declared as such. But even then, that is not the actual creation of the federal holiday. That didn't actually happen until 1941, just about 80 years ago or so, I think, if I do my math right. And it was the, actually, it was passed by Congress, and then it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who signed his name to it. Now, I don't have any quotes from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, I don't know that he was a Christian. But I find it very interesting when this was done. Um, It was on December 26th of 1941. Day after Christmas. Does December of 1941 ring a bell with anyone? (laughs) When I... Did this too? We had a packed house, by the way, full of the parents of our, of our elementary school kids. I, I asked the same thing. Does anyone know what December 1941, what else happened in that month? And just like dogs at a fan, total blank. They just don't teach history anymore. You know, but we don't know our history, so therefore we believe what anyone tells us. December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in Infamy, that's the attack on Pearl Harbor, and the United States entered World War II. Well, the first Christmas after that, the day after Christmas, that's when Thanksgiving was established by Providence, I mean, by Congress to be a national holiday that would be repeated year after year. And we can apply, I think, Lincoln's statements and, and, and Washington's statements and the history that led up to that first Thanksgiving in Plymouth, which is now Massachusetts. And that is that this is a time where God's people gather together to thank that all-powerful, providential, mighty God that they live in a country whose God is the Lord. And we best not let them take it away from us. There's a concentrated effort to rip this out by the roots, to surgically remove it from history. And so I think that Christians, rather than being apologetic for their Christianity or rather than being apologetic by stating that these are indeed Christian holidays, Christian observances, we should be out there telling the unbelieving world that your blessings and the very fact that you can gather around your table and have these blessings and forget about God and turn your face on Him and enjoy family, food, fun, and football, the reason that you can do that is because this is a nation. Or has been a nation whose God is the Lord. And I can tell you one thing, brothers and sisters, if that changes, and many of us think it already has, many of us think that God has already removed his hand of blessing from this nation. Just look at the history in the Bible. God removes his hand of blessing and lets the enemies overrun the people he wants protected. You need to be telling this to your children and your grandchildren and everyone in your sphere, that the reason we are blessed as a nation is because we always have been a nation whose God is the Lord. Amen? Pray with me. Well, Lord, that's, that's our heritage. And we thank you that we fit in still, I believe, into Psalm thirty-three, twelve, that we are... Your heritage, and I know that this country politically has nothing to do with it. It's the people who live in this country. It's it's the communities of Christians. It's the churches and the thoughts and the ethical standards according to Scripture. It is the exaltation of you as God and as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we know if that changes, that we as a people get what we deserve. Lord, we know at this particular point in time, there's nothing that can change that, that. The trajectory that we are on, other than you changing the hearts of people, other than you sending revival. So we pray for another great awakening, yet another one. I know that there's three that you've already sent already. Just send another one, please, Lord, so that we might be able to see this country once again, turn back to its roots, turn back to its Puritan, Reformed, Calvinistic, Christian roots that we would continue to worship you and be a nation whose God is the Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, well, I'm sorry I went a little bit long on that. Um, normally, um, yeah, I know you guys are saying meditation. Um, well, believe it or not, that is a meditation as far as I'm concerned. Um, but nonetheless, um, we, we're not done yet. We will probably have an abbreviated time because I think everyone decided to stay home and stream and uh, their pajamas and cook their Thanksgiving dinners rather than coming to church today. But uh, nonetheless, we're happy that you are joining us via stream. But um, we always have a time. It's one of my favorite times of the whole year as far as services go, where we have a mic set up. And we invite um, any of you to come up and um, to express a reason um, that you're thankful, um, something that has happened, something that didn't happen, some blessing that the Lord has given uh, uh, to you. Um, we do ask that you, that you keep it into a single anecdote at a time, um, something that happened, not um, it, you know a, a travelogue of the last year. Um, but um, also that it is, it is something that we're thanking the Lord for. We're giving Him glory for because um, that's the foundation of what this holiday actually is. It is to thank and to give praise to the Lord. Now, I know that in the past we usually circulate a mic around, but because of the streaming mechanism now and um, not having you know the CNN type of uh, traveling cameraman Um, we're going to have a single mic, so you do have to come up here and um, uh, just uh, um, uh, feel free to give God the glory and tell us something that you are particularly thankful for. Um, I, I just want to share one thing, and I usually start us off as far as the things that I am thankful for. And I am thankful for so many things that go on here at the church. I am thankful for the the, the, the growth of our school. I'm amazed at the growth of our school. Um, we are in heady times. We are in times where we, are, we have a waiting list, and we're turning kids away. It breaks our hearts for the first time to turn kids away. But because of the state of things out there in both the public schools and some of the other Christian schools, we are gaining a tremendous popularity, and we, we, we're so blessed for that. And, and oh, by the way, um, just so you know, what I just preached about our history That's the kind of history that we teach here at our school. Um, We send our teachers to be trained in the real American history so that we know our spiritual roots are well-grounded in the Puritan, Reformed, Calvinistic Christian church. So that's what we teach. But I also want to just say something else I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for all your prayers for our daughter, Ashley. Um, and I'm thankful for what we got to witness yesterday, which is the first time in six months for her to walk without crutches. Um, that, amen. Um, she's got a boot, you know, uh, with lots of, uh, of heel um, um, things. To her, her foot still isn't flat, but um, she actually did walk down the sidewalk um, on her own. Which she has not been able to do. Has it been six months, Kay? Um, since, July. since July, okay. So um, we we are blessed by that, and we are so thankful to the Lord for um, for your prayers and for His oversight and what has been a very difficult road for her. Um, but um, praise God, uh, she's she's a trooper, and she's still uh, still swinging, and um, she's 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 able to see some. Some improvement, which means the world to any of you who have been in those situations. You know, just any improvement is is worthwhile. So, I'm going to step back here. The mic is there. You just simply get up and walk up, and uh, whatever you would like to say. and and if nobody comes, we're gonna. That's it, you know. But um, please do. It's it's a it's the time that everybody enjoys. Um, there's always got to be a first, okay. And we, we should actually have a have a plant, you know, um, a, a plant uh, so that somebody comes up and sort of breaks the ice. But there's always got to be a first. Uh, and usually what happens when there is a first, uh, then I've got to start shutting you up. Um, Sasha, you, you, God bless you. Come, come here and tell us what you're thankful for.
1: Um, good morning. I'm Sasha. Um, I am just so thankful in this season of my life for doctors Just thankful for their investment in the gifts and talents that God's given to them, whether they know the Lord or not, um, but always praying that they would. Um, Just the fact that they are there for us to care for us and uh, just so knowledgeable about how our bodies are made. It's amazing to think about how God made us. And we are very complicated and we need a lot of different doctors to help care for us um so I'm thankful for them I am so thankful for even through um doctor appointments and even hospital visits sometimes that we always have an opportunity to witness to them and to share the hope that we have um and beyond that and I and I thank Pastor Kirby so much for just illuminating God's word here um uh, because recently something hit me about um Jesus having rebuked the fever that the that Peter's mom had and um, it just went very deep, and I suddenly, finally had, saw the connection between illness and sin. And I am so grateful that God is our great physician. Um, I know that um, certain things are n- never healed this side of, um, of heaven, but um, I know that once we have died, we have ceased from sinning. And so I'm just so grateful to God uh, that he has made a way for that to happen and for the fact that he is constantly healing us here, I believe through sanctification, um, to help us to cease from sin because I know that we all want to be obedient to God's word and to not, um, but we still have to deal with that sinful nature. And it's, it's impossible to overcome, but with God all things are possible. So thank you for letting
0: me share. Amen. You know, Sasha, as uh, just, just reflecting on what you said, the whole premise I was trying to bring out is that when you have a community of people who are doing exactly what you just said, a desire not to sin, a desire to please God, a desire to live according to his statutes and his rules and his ethical standards, Um, to love our neighbors, to be selfless, to live lives of, of humility and giving. When you have a community of people who, not because they've been changed, but because God has changed their hearts and given them the desire to do that, boy, what a difference it is. Then when you have a bunch of people that are out cutthroat uh, looking for their own good and their own self-satisfaction at everyone else's expense, it's night and day. And so even if there are a couple of unbelievers in the midst of that community, well, their thoughts are going to be governed by that community. And that's what's so important. And that's why the community, the koinonia, the church, the community of believers is so essential that we stay as, that, as that, uh, that group, because if the rest of the world finds humility as a virtue, finds looking after those who are marginalized as a virtue, that doesn't come naturally, that is a result of hearts that are changed and living in that kind of community, so Absolutely. Ms. Pat.
2: So in
3: January, um, I fell off of this stage right here <laughs> and broke my foot and my heel. And <clears throat> then um, Sherry and Steve came forth with the little scooter, which was wonderful. Um, Jim has it now, by the way. Um, <laughs> But then um, because of the love of the church and the the people who brought me food (laughs) and took me places that I needed to go, I have friends now who are much closer friends, (laughs) and I'm just really thankful for them. And I'm thankful also for, like, Sasha said, the doctor who fixed my foot, and I'm able to walk just fine now. So, for the love of the Lord endures forever.
0: Amen. Amen. That, that has such a profound impact. Um, uh, we keep, you know, talking about when someone has been injured, is hurt, is isolated, that the, the love of the koinonia, the, if you're not familiar with that word, that's the fellowship in Acts 2. That's the original fellowship, and, and that's the body of believers, the true body of believers. When you have that, it not only impacts you, but it, it impacts those that you're ministering to and impacts them so deeply that they can't wait to do the same thing for others. And that's, that's how the, the the bond and the growth of the church occurs, inward and not just outward uh, for each other. Thank you, Miss Pat. Well, if there's no one else, I'm going to give you a chance going once, going twice, going thrice. Uh, oh, yes, sir, we have... Uh, See, this is what always happens. Now you're thinking, okay, I'll go, All right? Hi,
3: I just wanted to say how thankful I am for, um, to be home from college for Thanksgiving, um, to be with my family and my mom. I got to make a, uh, a pumpkin pie with her yesterday, and just the time that I get to spend with my family is um, becoming a lot more meaningful to me uh, as I spend a lot of time away from them. And I'm very thankful that communities like this one um, do exist. It's very encouraging to see um, this family-like atmosphere. Um, and that's what I'm thankful for. So, thanks. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Where do you go to school? University of North Florida. North Florida. Okay, Good, good. Good. How many years you got left? Two. Two. All right, right in the middle. There is, there, there is an end. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Oh, Brother Rick. Good
3: morning. Uh, I just want to say that uh, Anita and I, just we just love this church, and we're just so thankful that the Lord led us here. Um, without going into any details, uh, my wife last left our last church in tears, because of a conflict that she had, and while she was going through that difficulty, I was in New York because my mother and my sister died. So I was going through that difficulty at the same time. And in <clears throat> excuse me. And in the midst of all that, God led Anita here, and she called me up and was so excited that she found this church. We love our pastor. We love everybody here. It's it's a true family. It really is, and we just thank God for that. Thank you.
0: And Brother Rick and Sister Anita, we thank God for y'all. Anita's back there in the sound booth, by the way. She's she's making sure that our sound works. And of course, Brother Rick, your all the instruments you play and what you've added to the praise team is such a such a, a blessing. So thank you all. We are blessed that you're here. And you know something? That's what we've always said here at this church. That um, you know, when they built the temple, they they would cut stones in a quarry miles away but they were perfectly cut so that when they built the temple it would all lean together just perfectly and we have always believed that God is the one who cuts the stones and brings them to his house to a particular church and when that happens they all fit together pretty nicely because he's got a plan it's when we go out and say, "Well, we're going to we're going to have a campaign to bring a whole bunch of people who maybe don't know the Lord uh, into the church. We want people to come into the church who don't know the Lord, so we can evangelize them. But we just don't, we want the, the, the unbelievers to be in the family of believers, and not vice versa. You, you know, which unfortunately happens in so many churches. So uh, it is a blessing to stand in my where I am and watch. As God brings these different perfectly cut stones in, into this fellowship. All right, Miss Bobby. I know, I know, I'm sorry. But you've got to, you know, there's there's an audience waiting to see you, so.
3: Okay. Well, I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, oh thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I just wanna say thank you, and that I am so thankful for my family, of course, and uh, various people who pick me up and bring me to church like today when my family's too busy. And I think if we didn't have the leader in this church, we would not be as wonderful a church as we are. Kirby keeps us right in the word, day in and day out. I'm most thankful for his leadership, thank you Lord
0: Thank you, Miss Bobby. you humble me. Um, the um, way I've always responded to that is that I don't know anything else to do. I'm basically a really boring person, and I don't have anything to say that is not in the Word of God so um, you know that 's a good reason for me to stay in it because otherwise i don't think you would be here very long because i don't really have anything to say, certainly no wisdom. <laughs> but thank you, Ms Bobby Ms Deborah
2: i don 't like talking in front of people because I cry. <laughs> here we go um, I'm thankful for so, for so much in my life that I would bore you to tears. But when I found this church, you guys just made me feel so welcome so quickly. And I've been to other churches to visit, and no one ever talked to me. And it well, you preach amazingly. I mean, word. I mean, and I hear you in my voice during the week, like, you should eat better. That one of those things. (laughs) And just, I'm fumbling, but you get the drift. (laughs) That I just love it here, and you guys are so wonderful. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for my family, my son, who I get to see this afternoon. And we're sharing the joint cooking. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful year. Thank you.
4: Thank you. This probably goes without saying, but I thank the Lord for life. It was about 11 and a half months ago that our family all was diagnosed with COVID, and we've all been through that together. Um, the, the, The low point of it all, if I could just be so bold, is when I realized that the grandchildren were not going to be able to go to daycare or a babysitter or anything with us. For they, they were going to be in the house with us for like the next three weeks. Nobody was getting a break. There was no visit to the park. There was, right, we were all locked in. Uh, when that realization hit me, it was just like the clouds. At any rate, um, we made it through. There's been a tremendous season of loss, though, for all of us. And um, it just makes... That, that whole process makes you grateful for every single day that you can get up and look around and, and see another sunrise and hear the birds chirp and, mm. and uh, interact, worship, all those things that you know, we kind of take for granted. But I thank the Lord for life.
0: Amen. Amen.
4: Good morning. Uh, what I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for the love of God The genuine love of God that's displayed in this church from the pulpit to the microphones of worship all the way to the security guard and everybody else in between. I love this church. Thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. should 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 I I tell Bob and Sasha that we're we're praying in precatory prayers um <laughs> that their their real estate deal doesn't go through can can I can I say that you know publicly <laughs> but anyway now we uh, we were blessed by uh you as a couple brother Freddie, i think i d- do they let you out of the sound booth uh okay
5: Morning church. Uh, so thankful for all of God's good gifts to us and to my family. And um, Today I'm especially thankful for this church. Um, this is family. What we're going through, you know, many of you know, I'm thankful that you're praying for us and all the encouragement that you give us. Um, I'm not too much into dreams and that kind of thing. I'm one of the Probably one of the chosen, frozen. Um, but I'm even having dreams of people I don't know in the dreams telling me they're praying for, for us and for Skyler. Wow. And we thank thankful for that. And the Lord is so beautiful. Even one day we were discouraged, and the Lord sent Stacy. Stacy, show up and start talking to my wife. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Amen. And it is my understanding now that the next step is they've got the, new, the decision that Schuyler can be adopted. The next step is that the judge will grant um, um, and Eglay and there it does appear to be an aunt in Texas someplace that has uh, stepped up, but we're asking um, the Lord's special blessing that he would work through the court system so that this little girl, this precious little girl that they are now foster parenting would be able to be there uh, in adoption. So we'll continue praying for that. Brother.
5: Good morning.
3: I'm just a visitor, but uh,
5: my grandson said he wanted to give thanks.
3: This is, this is Israel.
6: Hi. Hi.
3: I'm thankful for my, my parents and my, and my little brother and everybody who took care of me. And the church. And uh, you've created a great environment here for them. I'm here because my other grandchildren go to the school. We were here last Friday, I think it was. And um, I said, I got to do this again. And we took this opportunity today. Thank you.
5: Thank you. Praise God.
0: So, that's a good name, Israel. Miss Stacy. Got
7: two mics, right?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Choose. <laughs> it
7: be dangerous. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to come up here, but I saw Mr. Leafmans come up, and I wanted to make sure that he was helped. Um, but I've known Mr. Leafmans for, what, 20, 30 years? We've been friends. We've raised our children together. Um, his oldest daughter, Candace, who is... Yeah, yeah, you guys know me, yes. And uh, in and out of ministry together, the last couple of weeks, we, uh, we crossed paths unexpectedly when a dear friend of us uh, passed away a couple weeks ago, and um, actually 10 days ago, and we all rallied together to help his mom, and who was in South Carolina, and he was uh, down here. And... Um, and the Lord just seems to bring us and weave us, and, and that's what the family of God is all about, right? We're weaved in and out of each other with this beautiful tapestry that he makes out of us, all the broken pieces, all of the um, the insecurities, all of the hurts, all of the pain, and he weaves us. and scripture says that. With the comfort that we've received, Paul says, is that we learn that we comfort, we can comfort others. And... Uh, And I just want to say that this church has been a comfort to me over all of the years. Um, Those of you I've known, for some of you, for 25 and 30 years, back when we had the first service choir, and and we were like a, it was our fellowship group, and we ministered to one another, and we loved one another, and uh, the older people in this church walked us through some very hard times with our children, and they were kind of like our mentors as we Came to Thursday night rehearsal where we're supposed to lead the choir and you know give them in, and we always came back filled. And isn't that what Christ does for each and every one of us? Um, Brandon, actually, sir, is one of the saxophone players that used to come from Calgary. I I thought I recognized that. Yes. So Yes. So, I, I I don't
0: remember the beard though. I I, I think I, I think that's yeah. an addition. I don't remember that either. <laughs> But
7: just that we're grateful for all of you. We're grateful for Jesus Christ. We're grateful for his son. Without him, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have this unity. We wouldn't have this purpose of eternal purposes for Christ and for his kingdom. And that's really ultimately what it's all about. And that's what happens here with the tremendous leadership uh, that we have in our godly pastor and his wife. And the preaching, um, the line by line, word by word. The one thing I love about this church, and, and Pastor Sets That Precedent, is that a lot of times when pastors preach through a book, they skip over the hard stuff. And he just goes right through it. And we're blessed because of that, because we get the whole counsel of God and, and, uh, and that's presented to us to to chew on and to and to to to, uh, to ponder over and sometimes to walk out feeling like we got run over, right? <laughs> but that's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? Because we're wrestling. So I'll be quiet now. And God bless you. And thank you, all of you. Know who you are who have poured so much into our lives and the lives of our children. We are so very grateful. For Each and every one of you, and and that goes to Mr.
0: Leavens too. Amen. Praise God. Yes, Stacy. That—that's why we are now a year into the study of Luke and just starting the fifth chapter. Um, That's why it takes us five years to get us through a gospel. It's all those hard things that you know you.
7: Like, oh, you're, you're just finishing up the last five verses. They just think <laughs> that that is like the coolest thing. Yeah. They're like,
0: they've never seen anybody do that before. Yeah. What, what, what's tough is, is when that's the, the times they come is one year to the next. And, and we're, <laughs> we're, we're only a half a chapter <laughs> ahead. I wasn't going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Anyone else? Well, thank you so much. God bless you all. What a, a wonderful, a late arrival just in time. Miss Donna, come on. You, you just caught us.
3: Hi. I'm one of those uh, streamers that didn't make it this morning but I live close enough that I could jump in the car and come over here.
0: Okay, good. So
3: I really wanted to come, but I wasn't able to come, but I am now. Uh, I had to come today and tell you what a wonderful God we serve. The Lord is merciful and good to all and his kindness is over all his works. I could tell you of the material things that I've received in the last few months, and I could tell you of the losses that I have experienced recently. But the main thing that I am thankful for is the Lord Jesus Christ, because in His providential care over me as His child, He has drawn me closer to Himself than at any time in the last 30 years that I've known him. And I would not trade it for the world. I have a pearl of great price and I'm not selling it for anything.
0: Amen, amen, thank you. Thank you for making the trip to share that with us. I am told, I don't know if it's true or not, that George Washington used to, when he went to church, would get on his horse and ride 50 miles in order to go to the church they wanted to. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But um, I always am appreciative of those who, it's a struggle to get here, and they get here anyway. Okie dokie, why don't we close in prayer and just thank the Lord as a body. Father, you've heard these these statements of thanksgiving, and there's one thing that runs like a thread through every one of them, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Your great mercy and love for us, everyone realizes that that which is good in life, that which we have that is good, and as, as, as Washington said, what has been good, what is good, and what will be good, all comes from you. And um, I'm just so thankful for your presence amongst us. We give you all the glory. There's not a person here who um, is standing on their own merit, their own capabilities. The reason that we are here is you. And the reason that we come back is you. And the reason that we have a hope is you. The reason that we desire and enjoy listening to scripture is you. The reason that we like this fellowship and the brothers and sisters you have brought here is you. The reason we are unified is you. We would be at each other's throats if it were not for you. We are in you, by you, for you, through you. Everything in our lives is you. Now, some people would say that was being a fanatic. Um, I think it's being a Christian being a reformed Puritan Christian. Lord, I just thank you that you have led us to this place. Now, I know that everyone is going to fan out, go different directions. They're going to have time with their families. I ask your blessings upon those times. um, And also a blessing on those who aren't going to have any families um, to enjoy this Thanksgiving with, um, that you would strengthen, fortify them and making sure that they know that they are never, ever alone because you are always there with them. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God's people said, Amen. God bless you.